I can remember June 30th, 2002 with some detail. That was the day that I got baptized. I was 14 years old and had decided that the time was right for me to be baptized and had gone through the baptism classes that the church offered and received some training in that regard and um, then went through with the baptism. And I remember one of the things that's significant about the story for me is that around the time of my baptism is one of the first times I remember hearing God speak to me. I was in my front yard and we were doing yard work. I think I was on my hands and knees pulling weeds. And I was thinking about the testimony that I was going to share with the church because before the baptism, I had to share my testimony with the church from the stage. And I was thinking, how should I say it? And, and I was suffering a little bit with something that some of you have told me that, that you struggle with a little bit, uh, which is a, a bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to my testimony because I came to faith when I was five years old and there was no kind of dramatic turn from anything serious. You know, I wasn't, you know, dealing drugs or in jail or, you know, hopeless about life before I came to faith. Though some people are, and that's a dramatic and, and miraculous story. Uh, my story didn't have that kind of detail to it. I've since become convinced that any time God calls a sinner to himself, whether that person is five years old or 105 years old, whether they were raised in the church or were completely against the church, it's a dramatic and miraculous story. Anytime God calls someone to faith. And I wouldn't trade my upbringing for anything, actually. Uh, and so I'm actually really grateful to God for my story. But I was thinking on that day as I was doing the weeding in the front yard uh, about what I should say. And I remember some song lyrics came to mind. It's like they appeared out of nowhere. If God speaks to you in, through your thoughts, like he does to me sometimes, you, you know what I'm talking about. God can plant a thought there that wasn't there before, and you know that it came from outside of you. And this is what God did in that moment. It was a song lyric that we've sung here before. And the song lyric goes like this, Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you are my God. And I thought that's what my baptism is, is about here, is, is for me to worship God, to bow down before him, and to declare that he is my God. And so that's what I stood up and said in front of the church right in this very spot on June the 30th, two thousand. And two, I can remember over to my left, the, the pews were full with a lot of my extended family and my grandparents and whatnot. And actually, my aunt said to me after the service was over, you're going to be a pastor one day. And I laughed at her. And um, then I got up in the tank, which is right up over that wall there, and Pastor Herb Neufeld uh, baptized me on June the 30th, 2002. Significant moment in my spiritual walk. I'd say to you now in hindsight that I understood what I was doing, but I don't think I understood the fullness of what I was doing in getting baptized. I don't think I realized the, the, the fullness of what baptism actually means, what it actually signifies in the life of a believer. So it's our goal today to talk about baptism, to talk about why we might get baptized and what baptism actually signifies. Our main idea is that baptism is our joyful response to Jesus. Baptism is our joyful response to Jesus. Now, I know that I'm talking to two different audiences uh, as, as you listen today. A lot of you have been baptized already. In fact, some of you were baptized maybe 50 or 60 years ago already. So this happened a long time ago. And you might be tempted to tune out and say, well, I don't really need to hear this today because this has already happened for me. I don't want to give you that permission. In fact, I want to give you three things to listen for as we talk about baptism today. First of all, I want to, to you to listen to what has already been done in your life. What was signified through your baptism? Think about how you understood it at the time 
and whether there are any additional insights or pieces that you didn't understand at the time of your baptism. Secondly, I want you to listen to this so that you could explain what baptism is to someone else. I heard a pastor say once, and I thought this was so challenging, he said, it should be the goal of every Christ follower to baptize another believer. Uh, and, and stepping even further back than that, it should be the goal of every Christ follower to lead someone to faith and, and disciple them to the point of baptism, and then to actually baptize them. What, what, a, what a neat thing if we all had that in mind. And one of the stories that comes to mind with that, which I thought was so powerful, uh, was in my time as a youth pastor. And uh, as the stories about Megan Nelson, Megan works in our office now, and uh, Megan was a youth leader, and she had a small group of girls, and a couple of the girls in her small group realized that they needed to get baptized, and Megan hadn't been baptized at that point yet, and she decided that she needed to be baptized. And so Megan got up into the tank there, and she was baptized herself, and then while she was still dripping wet, she turned around and baptized the, the two students in her group that wanted baptism. I thought, what a cool picture of how God works and, and how we can have influence in others. Because it's not just pastors who are able to baptize people. We are the priesthood of all believers, meaning that we are able to, to, to do that with one another. So think about this if you've already been baptized as how would I explain baptism to someone as if I was leading them towards that step of faith themselves. And then uh, lastly, I want to, us to think about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. If you've already been baptized, this is what Paul says. He's just listed some evil behaviors uh, and, and evil uh, identity that used to define you before you became a follower of Christ. He says, that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So you are made holy and your sins no longer count against you and you were washed in the water of baptism because of your new identity as a follower of Jesus. So the question I want you to ponder is, Am I living out that identity? Am I living out the identity that I declared when I uh, stood up in front of people and was baptized? So there are some of you who have been baptized already. That's how I want you to listen to this. Those of you who have not been baptized, there's a direct challenge for you here. Now, some of you might be listening and haven't taken the step of faith in Christ yet. And that's the first step is, is proclaiming faith in Jesus. And perhaps today is the day that you make that decision. Maybe you've been sitting on that decision for a while, not sure if you are ready to take that step of faith. Today's the day for you. But following that is the step of baptism. And some of you who are beyond childhood, and we're going to talk about the age of baptism later on. Some of you are beyond childhood and have declared faith in Jesus Christ and have not been baptized yet. And sometimes uh, we as pastors, and I'm guilty of this, actually like to, to couch it as an invitation that's kind of soft-spoken, right? Like if you feel like you're being led to, being, to be baptized as your next step of obedience to Christ, would you consider being baptized? The New Testament is not that gentle. <laughs> the, the New Testament does not conceive of an unbaptized adult believer. There's no category for that in the New Testament. The command of Jesus is to be baptized, so the, the challenge is direct to you today. If you are unbaptized and an adult and a believer in Jesus Christ, the call to you is that the New Testament and Jesus himself asks you to be baptized. And so that's the challenge in front of you today. Uh, this is how our confession of faith says it. There is no hint in the New Testament that baptism is optional, an add-on, or an action limited to some special spiritual group. You know, sometimes people say, well, I don't feel like I'm quite far enough along in my faith to be baptized yet. 
Well, the New Testament says you don't have to reach any level of spiritual maturity. You just need to have faith in Christ and baptism is the next thing for you. It goes on to say an unbaptized believer also never passes an age or a maturity level where baptism is no longer a relevant command for them. You could be 105 years old and if you're not baptized, this command still applies to you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, is as every bit as applicable today as at the first Pentecost. That's from Acts 2. We're going to read that in just a moment. So where do we read this command? Well, we read it in uh, two places we'll jump off of, and then we'll look at a lot of other New Testament texts today. The, the first one is in Matthew 28. This is known as the Great Commission. Jesus has ro- risen from the dead and is about to ascend into heaven, and he gives his disciples some final instructions. He says, therefore, go, or in the Greek we might say, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' marching orders that he gives his disciples is make disciples. Go out and and replicate disciples. And there are two things that you are supposed to do as you make disciples. Teach them and baptize them. Uh, we could read uh, the story of Acts chapter 2, and we just studied the book of Mark. Remember, Mark is, is um, recording what Peter has told him about Peter's experience with Jesus. Now Peter is, is here in the book of Acts. Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus has reinstated Peter after he denied even knowing him. And Peter has received the Holy Spirit along with the disciples on the day of Pentecost, and he's preaching a sermon in Jerusalem. And he, he, he's, he's preaching it pretty intensely. And this is how he wraps up the sermon. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, we get it and we're in. We believe it. We believe that Jesus is is the Christ, who you say that he is. What should we do about it? What's the next step? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine this scene where 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus and are immediately baptized? Amazing. So this is Peter's, Peter's command. Hey, this is the first step. Repent, which means admit that you've sinned. Admit that you're walking in the wrong direction. Do a 180-degree turn and walk the other way towards Jesus and be baptized. Those are the next steps. So the command is clear. Baptism is our joyful response to Jesus, and the New Testament does not conceive of an unbaptized adult believer. So let's talk about then what baptism actually signifies. What does it actually mean? Why would we actually do it? I want to give you three things today, three, three uh, ways in which we can understand baptism. And there are more, but these are three of the main ones. And interestingly, the one that most people think of first is not actually on the list, it, at least not as a primary reason. Usually when I'm, I'm teaching a baptism class and I say, what brought you to this point of wanting to be baptized? People will almost invariably say, I've come to the place where I need to declare publicly that I believe in Jesus Christ. To which I say, absolutely, that's awesome. And that's something that happens in baptism, but it's actually not even one of the primary reasons that the New Testament gives for being baptized. 
that there are some other things that we need to understand about what baptism actually is. So the first one, baptism is a sign that one has been cleansed or freed from sin. Baptism is a sign that one has been cleansed or freed from sin. So we can look at a couple of New Testament passages to help us see this theme come through. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, Jesus' body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, did you catch the the baptism allusion in there? First, he talks about having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. What that's referring to is when we put our faith in Christ, Jesus cleanses us from our sins. Through his death and resurrection on the cross, we've been forgiven. So there's an internal work that happens there of being cleansed from our sin. But then he says, our bodies have also been washed with pure water. This is a reference to baptism. That we signify what has happened internally and with this external act. Now, here's a a good time for us to to talk about a a debate that has happened throughout church history. Some branches of the church have argued and still argue that baptism saves a person. That salvation is found in baptism. Uh, The Anabaptists, and we'll talk more about them in a moment, these are our spiritual forefathers, argued against that right from the beginning, that baptism does not save you, but it's a sign of what has happened. So you could think about baptism as, as salvation on this end, and baptism is an empty ritual on this end. And the Anabaptists would say, well, it doesn't save you, but it's also not powerless. There's something that happens at baptism. There's a, a power that, that is in, in, uh, in the act of baptism, but it's not a salvation type power. It's, it's a sign. It's not just a symbol. It's, it's a sign of what has actually happened. Hebrews helps us to understand that there's this internal washing that's been done. We have this assurance through our faith in Jesus, and baptism is the external sign that this is what has happened internally. Uh, We could also think of Ephesians chapter 5 when we think about uh, this particular aspect of baptism. Paul is using this uh, analogy, which he's applying to marriage, but he he introduces baptism into the middle of it. Uh, We're looking at Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There's this this reference to baptism there that Paul doesn't really spell out very clearly. But there's this washing that has happened. The church is the baptized people of God so that Jesus can present the church to God, pure and blameless. So baptism is a sign that one has been cleansed from sin and freed from its power. I can remember being uh, at Bible college. You do all kinds of crazy things at Bible college. Uh, we were in Cairnport, Saskatchewan, this tiny little town. You could walk from one end of the town to the other in about 10 minutes. And um, I was a youth leader in the middle school youth group of the community church there. And uh, we did some 
uh, kind of wild and crazy things as a youth group. Uh, this was about 15 or 16 years ago, maybe before all these waiver forms needed to be signed and whatnot. We would often play games that just spanned the whole community. Like you could just play wherever you wanted across the entire city. I guess we weren't worried about kids getting hit by cars, not that there was a lot of traffic in Karenport, Saskatchewan. One of the games we played was that the youth leaders had to just go out into the, the, the little town and hide. And the students had to find us and bring us back to the community center. Now, we weren't supposed to lock ourselves in a room or something. We were supposed to wander around, try to stay hidden. And I was successful for about an hour. And then I was found and I was brought back to the community center. And what they did to us there was they covered us head to toe in syrup. And then they took uh, feather pillows and they started beating us with them so that all of these feathers exploded and covered us from head to toe. It was a mess. And I still remember um, not really enjoying the process, first of all, but second of all, getting hosed down and then tiptoeing into my dorm room to shower off the sticky, smelly syrup that was covering me from head to toe. I probably spent half an hour in that shower, just letting the, the hot water wash all of this off of me, being cleansed from the filth that I had been covered with. This is a picture of what Jesus does with our sins. And the water of baptism is a sign of what has happened to us internally. But Jesus has cleansed us from our sin. Secondly, baptism involves identifying ourselves with Jesus and particularly in his death. Identifying ourselves with Jesus' death and his resurrection. So let's look at a couple of Bible passages on this one as well, starting in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 12. Uh, you have been buried with him in baptism, buried with Jesus in baptism, in which, and then you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Uh, Paul talks the same way in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised through the dead, from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So baptism involves identifying ourselves with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Do you know that the Apostle Paul, in all that he writes in the New Testament, about a hundred times, he uses the phrase, in Christ. You are in Christ. And he's getting at this same idea when he says you're baptized into Christ, baptized into his death, identifying yourself with him in his death and resurrection. So if we are in Christ, what happened to Jesus happened to me. Uh, it's kind of like if I was to say to you, um, just hypothetically, uh, yesterday I flew from Vancouver to, uh, pick your destination, let's say Honolulu, that sounds fun. Uh, yesterday I flew from Vancouver to Honolulu. Okay, I'm not saying to you that I started flapping my arms and riding the wind currents all the way to Honolulu. No, you understand that I got into an airplane and the airplane flew from Vancouver to Honolulu, but I was in the airplane. So it's accurate for me to say that I flew from Vancouver to Honolulu, even though the plane did all the work. And whatever happened to the plane also happened to me. 
right? I might say, we hit turbulence. Well, I didn't hit turbulence. The plane hit turbulence. But what happened to the plane happened to me. So when we're saying we're in Christ, we're saying what happened to Christ also happened to me. So when he hung on that cross, I also hung on that cross. And you might say, well, I've never had nails driven through my wrists or my hands or my ankles before. Well, no, you haven't. But spiritually, we, we were attached to that cross with Jesus. Our old nature, our old self, our, our sinful nature was crucified along with Christ. Baptism helps us to, to signify that, to, to act it out. So we could think about Christ on the cross like this. Uh, he, he was on the cross vertically like this. He was put horizontally into the grave and then he was raised to new life again. Well, this is the same action that we take in baptism by immersion. We stand in the water, we're put underneath the water like we're being put in the grave and then we're being raised to new life with Jesus. What happened to Jesus happened to me. And I'm acting this out in my baptism. My old self has been crucified on the cross. Uh, This is why uh, Paul can say in uh, Galatians chapter 2 that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. I no longer live. Christ lives in me because I have been crucified with Christ. My old identity has been crucified and a new identity has been raised from the dead. You know, I was born with the last name Thiessen because my dad was a Thiessen and his dad was a Thiessen, so on and so forth. Uh, it's not like when I was born, I was given a list of Mennonite names and said, do you want to be a Penner or a Funk or a Friesen or a Froze? Uh, no, I was just given the name Thiessen. That's what I was born. That was my identity. I could change my last name, but I can't change the fact that I was born a Thiessen. You and I were born with a sin nature. That was our last name was Sinner. Even before I committed my first sinful act, I was a sinner by birth. And by identifying myself with Jesus, that, that identity has been crucified and put in the grave. And I've been raised to new life again with a new last name, the last name of Saint. I, the, I'm under the ownership of Jesus Christ now. And yes, we live in this time which we call the already and not yet, where Jesus has, has won the victory on the cross, but the final victory is yet to be won. So there still is influence of evil in this world. And I still wrestle with that. But my identity has been changed. I'm under the lordship of Jesus Christ. What happened to Jesus happened to me. Watchman Nee was a, a Chinese pastor. He was imprisoned for the last 20 years of his life. He wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. And he writes this, By baptism we acknowledge in a figure, by an action, that God has wrought an intimate union between ourselves and Christ in this matter of death and resurrection. And he goes on to compare it to, it's like when you take sugar and mix it into your tea or your coffee. You, you stir it all around, you dissolve it, and when you've dissolved it, you can't look at it and say, there's the coffee and there's the sugar. No, they're one. It's one substance now. We are one with Christ in that way. So baptism is a sign that we've been cleansed and freed from sin. Baptism is a a sign of our identification with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And thirdly, and this one is a a little bit different than the other two. The other two you could understand in individual terms. And I think this is where we misunderstand baptism in our 21st century Western culture. Baptism is not only an individual thing. It's actually a communal thing. There's a community element to baptism. Baptism that we often miss. So we can see that uh, baptism is incorporation into the body. 
It's inclusion into the body of Christ, the church. And we could look in a couple of different places uh, to find this. We could look, first of all, in uh, Galatians chapter 3. And Paul says this in Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Paul talks about being baptized into Christ, and then he immediately starts talking about the kind of people that you associate with when you've been baptized into Christ. And when he talks about being baptized into Christ, he's talking about into Christ's body. What's Christ's body? It's the church. So he says, in the church, there's no longer these distinctions that divide people like Jew and and Greek and slave and free and male and female. Certainly these identities continue when you're in the, the body of Christ, but they no longer divide you. They're actually brought together in this beautiful unity of purpose, in this family. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 3 that the manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored wisdom of God is on full display when people look at the church and see diverse people coming together, putting aside their differences because of their common purpose. And Paul says that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms see God's wisdom when they look at the church. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 is another place where Paul talks about this. Uh, Starting in verse 12, uh, just as a body, a human body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body. So you have fingers and eyes and ears and knees and uh, heart and lungs, and all these are many different parts of your body, but they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. And even so, the body is not made up of one part. But of many, our baptism is incorporation into the body of Christ. An unbaptized believer is kind of like a newlywed who doesn't want (laughs) in-laws. Says, I want to be married to Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with his people. That's not how the New Testament understands baptism. When When you're baptized, you are included into a group of people. It's saying to this group of people, I want to be a part of you. And it's people opening their arms and saying, we want you to be a part of us on a common mission together for the sake of the gospel. This is why it's never our practice or not usually our practice, particularly not in COVID times, to go off and do a private baptism in the woods or at a lake somewhere. Because baptism is not just about you and your close circle of family and friends. It's about the church that you are committing yourself to. It's about the group of people saying, I want to be a part of you. That's, that's what baptism signifies. It's incorporation into the body of Christ. It's important for people to see that, to participate in it with you. Some people say, well, it just what Paul's talking about here is the invisible church, the universal church. I'm, I'm joining the church of God across the world. And this is true. You are joining the invisible universal church. But the New Testament doesn't conceive of the universal, invisible church aside from a visible local church. This is how the church expresses itself. And so baptism is incorporation into that local church. 
Our confession of faith says baptism is a powerful sociological event. It incorporates believers into the church. It erases all the cultural, racial, ethnic, class, and gender distinctions that divide people in the world. Baptism affects community and levels the ground in that community. It's important that we participate in these things together because this is what baptism does. It incorporates people into the work of the church. So those are three uh, powerful truths about what baptism actually is. It signifies our freedom from sin. It identifies ourselves with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And it incorporates us into a local church. This is, by the way, this last one is why at Ross Road, when you get baptized, you become a member of the church. And at most Mennonite Brethren churches, that's how it works. You can't be baptized and not join the church because the New Testament talks about how baptism includes this kind of incorporation. So, a couple other things as we wrap up here. Uh, First is the age of baptism. This is a question that gets asked often. And if you're a kid that's listening today, you might be wondering, well, what about me? When do I get baptized? Or if you're a teenager, you might be thinking, well, what about me? When do I get baptized? There's not a hard and fast answer to this kind of question. Uh, Of course, there's been a debate across history about infant baptism versus adult baptism. Uh, We believe that the New Testament most clearly teaches adult baptism, that it needs to be someone's own choice for themselves to be baptized rather than the decision of their parents. When we think about our history, we think about the the Anabaptist movement, which emerged out of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. One of the key tenets of the Anabaptists, this group of reformers, was that they looked at the church practicing infant baptism, and they looked at the scripture, and they said, we believe scripture says that baptism ought to be an adult choice. And so they started baptizing one another. In fact, Anabaptist literally means to be baptized again. They'd been baptized as children. They baptized each other. This earned them the label of heretic, and many of them were killed for that understanding and that belief. But we still hold to that understanding that that is the the best way to understand the New Testament is that it's talking about an adult's choice to be baptized. So at what age is it appropriate for someone to be baptized then? Like I said, there's not a hard and fast age. I I like to think that 13 is a good place to start the conversation, but that's not necessarily a a hard and fast age. I, I think our confession of faith handles this well by saying there are three things that ought to be true of someone who's seeking baptism. First, they ought to be a person who understands its meaning. So they need to know what it is that they're doing. They need to understand some of the things that we've talked about already today. Second, it's for those who are able to be accountable to Christ and the church. They need to be old enough to be accountable in the church. And third, it's for those who voluntarily request it on the basis of their faith response to Jesus Christ. So those are three helpful parameters. Parents, if you're talking with your kids, or if uh, you'd like to talk with one of us as pastors about baptism, these are the three things that we would visit Uh, along with you. Now, the process of baptism at Ross Road is is for you to indicate your interest and then to attend a class and then to share your story with the elders uh, before the baptism actually would happen. Uh, interesting, uh, Interesting note, if you look back in history, when the New Testament, when you read about baptism, often baptism, uh, it follows conversion just like that. It's two sides of the same coin. And that's because there was people coming to faith all the time who were brand new converts. There was they were converting from Judaism to this brand new movement of Jesus, and this was what you did when you started. At other points in history, the church has found it wise to have a bit of a, a waiting period. I think of the, the fourth century when all of a sudden Christianity became the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire after being suppressed and oppressed and persecuted for centuries. 
All of a sudden, all these people were flooding into the church that didn't really understand what they were getting themselves into, didn't really understand what baptism was about. And so the church said there's going to be a period of catechism, a period of repentance, a period of teaching and training, an opportunity for people to prove that they actually do believe in Jesus and they want to follow Jesus. And that period lasted for up to three years before a person could be baptized. We still believe that some training and some instruction is helpful, but the process doesn't need to last three years. So we have a class and uh, we have people meet with the elders of the church and share their testimony and then we go ahead and, and do the baptism. We have a class coming up on April the 25th. So here's the challenge to you. If you are, have not been baptized and you are an adult believer in Jesus Christ, uh, this is the step of obedience that Jesus is calling you to now. Uh, April 25th in the afternoon at 1.30 on Zoom, we'll have a class where we go through some uh, material about baptism uh, and about the Christian faith, about our church, about what it is that we believe as a church. And um, then we'll, we'll follow up with a meeting with the elders after that. If April 25th doesn't work for you, let me know anyways, and we'll figure out a time where we can do this uh, with you. So two questions to end. Uh, number one, if you've already been baptized, I want you to look back at your baptism and say, what significance does your baptism hold for you? And perhaps even to say, what kind of new understanding maybe did you glean through our study of the New Testament scriptures today about what actually happened at your baptism? Maybe talk with your family, a loved one, uh, or a friend today about how your baptism happened, uh, what you remember about it, what was significant about it. And secondly, if you haven't been baptized, what's holding you back? This is a, a, an instruction from Jesus, a command from Jesus to be baptized. What's holding you back? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the work of Jesus Christ and that we are included in this work, that we can identify ourselves with Christ on the cross and have this forgiveness of our sins be given to us, that we have been sanctified and justified before God. And Father, I, I praise you that you have given us this step of, of baptism which is a, a declaration of our faith, but also an identification with you, a sign that we have been forgiven and, and an incorporation into your body, the church. I thank you for many who have already been baptized and what that signified for them. And pray for the, the prayer for all of us would be that we'd continue to live a life worthy of the calling we've received and what we declared to be true of us at that moment of baptism. And for those who have not been baptized, Lord, I pray for the courage to take that step of faith. Uh, I know it does take courage. It takes, uh, it takes some strength. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would give that strength, would give that conviction uh, for that step of baptism. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. And it's our joy to serve you. Amen.